previously on Roll for Initiative. After dealing with the bugbears, Leon decides to teleport home to Strathford to check on his farm. The rest of the keepers return to Sorin for their reward, which comes in the form of gold and information. Sorin gives the group all of the intel his scouts have discovered about the base, including the sudden disappearance of the cult's small sailing vessel the day before. For nearly another hour, the keepers, Sorin, and Alalu spend time strategizing how they wish to attack the last base of the Cult of Chaos. Coming to a decision, our adventurers depart to spend a few days resting and exploring the nearby woods while they await the final preparations for the assault. Arian, feeling he needs some time alone, heads to the Caldena stream to rest and relax while Zimner, Zara, and Balasar battle two worm-like monstrosities on their way to the monster-slaying hut belonging to Balasar's brother, Brulo. We find our heroes as a party divided to begin this latest installment of Roll for Initiative. So we'll go ahead and get started with Arian. So last that we saw of Arian, you had witnessed your buddies take down the two Gricks, and then uh, since they were okay, you went on your way to the river to begin doing the testing out of the water breathing. Mm -hmm. It is a pretty calm river, which we discussed, and you also are ritual casting or have i guess i should say you have ritual casted the um water breathing part of things before getting ready to get in the water as you finish casting the spell and begin to approach the water to step into it we are going to cut into a flashback for arian so what we see is Arian when he is about eight or nine. So a much smaller version of himself. He, along with his father, Tarakan, have uh, gone to the Smiling River in Baxaclan, which is a, a river that's not too terribly far from your home. You now know, because you're older, the, this river is on the border between Baxaclan and Floria, uh, but it is a demilitarized zone in a sense. Both nations have agreed that because so many civilians go there for uh, like day trips sort of things that they aren't going to do any fighting around the river because they don't want to harm their own civilians. They mm -hmm. would rather just fight on land anyway. So it's a, a non-militarized zone, which means it's safe for kids to go swimming in. Uh, and it also is a very calm river, much like the Caldena stream that Arian's about to step into in real time. As Arian and his father get to the river, Tarakan gets down on one knee, helps Arian remove his shoes, and then Tarakan motions for you to enter the water. Okay. I think he'll, like, slowly wade in that's that's fair because this is probably one of the first times that Arian has been around a lot of water like this mm -hmm. um the the only reason that your father and you were able to make this trip today is because your father recently came into power in your clan which is 
where the the money came from and the lavishness that was needed for him to say, yeah, I'm going to take a day trip to go do this. So we see Aryan wade into the water, cautiously, uh, not entirely knowing what he's doing, because it is kind of his first time ever being in a large body of water, or I guess large by his own um, sense. And uh, around you, you can see dozens of other people swimming of a wide variety of races and a wide variety of ages. There are elderly people that are just kind of floating as the river kind of lazily takes them toward the south. There's also plenty of children that are running around on a beach across the stream that you can see splashing each other with water and playing games. Uh, Over there, you can actually see some of them are casting little versions of Firebolt and such at each other ray of frost because in floria it's not illegal to use magic and as you're kind of surveying your surroundings you feel something grab onto your leg and the the feeling of what you're grabbing you can, what is grabbing you you can tell is not like a fish or something biting you it's it's a small hand and this is like underwater has grabbed you oh my god and he jumps back and tries to jump back from it uh, the hand attaches itself, and then a little girl pops her head up out of the water. Uh, this is a little elven girl. She's got brown hair, purple eyes, and a really prominent scar on her left cheek. Um, and she looks at you, and she goes, Hello. Wow, you're really pretty. I like your eyes. Hi. hi uh, hey, thanks. Do you want to um, play together? Um. Maybe, and I'll, like, look over my shoulder at old Pop-Pop. So you see Tarakon, he has, he has not gotten into the water. He has laid out a a blanket of sorts or a towel on the beach and is just laying there taking a nap. Um, I think he's sleeping right now, but it should be fine. I'm Aryan. She goes, I'm Ari. Nice to meet you, Aryan. Hi. Sorry, I'm writing things down. So the two of you uh, begin swimming together. Uh, tell me, how good of a swimmer do you feel like Aryan is at this Not point in his at life? All, dude. He's fucking, he's got like lead bones, bro. He sinks so easily all the time. <laughs> he's very dense bones. He's like bouncing on the bottom, like essentially. Like as he gets like deeper and it's like getting to his neck, he's like, you know, that like kind of weird like bunny hop type thing you do. Yeah, the, like deep. the bob almost. Yeah, that's what he's he does. He doesn't have a he doesn't swim really at all. She, on the other hand, is a significantly better swimmer than Aryan. Just swimming laps around him as as he is bobbing up and down in the water. She she's doing a lot of giggling because she finds the actions that Aryan is doing to be entertaining, uh, in the way that little girls tend to find little boys entertaining and then after a little bit of swimming around and splashing each other she looks at you Ari and kind of pulls you back toward the the shallower end where you don't have to do your your bobbing and goes hey uh do do you want to see a a trick that I've learned Mm, sure like what kind of trick Uh, Like this kind. And she waves her hand around in front of you and a dagger suddenly appears in it. (gasps) What? He like backs up because that scared the shit out of him. 
Yeah, this is how I got the scar on my cheek because I was learning how to do this and I accidentally cut myself. How did you do that? It well, it's it's magic. Magic? Yeah, it's like what those kids over there are doing. And she points to the the other shoreline of like the kids hurling little bolts of energy back and forth at each other and giggling. Um, how much does young Aryan know about like? the stigma behind magic in Baxaclan at this point. I would say that little Aryan, even though he is little, he's eight or nine. So he's old enough at this point that he's probably picked up some information. And he also knows like the reason that his dad just came into power is because of a group of magic users that were illegal in Baxaclan that Mm -hmm. he like avenged his father's death through. Yeah. So, I think that Aryan probably knows that magic is frowned upon at the very least. Okay, he'll get like really anxious and like start like like he'll like back away from her a little bit and then like his eyes start like darting around everywhere like looking for somebody. He's like he's kind of worried that like someone will like persecute, not like persecute aggressively, but just be like that he could get in trouble from being around this. And he'll be like, um, magic isn't allowed. What? It isn't? Not where I'm from. Oh, well, where are you from? I'm from, I'm from Baxa clan. I live with my dad and he'll point at his dad and our tribe. I'm from over there. And she points to the other side of the stream. What's that over there? Um, I think it's flower or something like that oh um floria that's what it is he's gonna like look over at his dad and is his dad still like passed out sleeping yeah dad is still zonked in the sunlight oh okay well will you put that away before my dad wakes up and sees i don't want to get in trouble um sure i can do that and then she waves her hand again and it's gone okay that was something that my mommy taught me how to do all my dad does is, like, teach me how to, like, lift things and be strong, is what he says. But I don't really know exactly wow. what that means. Wow. Can you show me? I mean, can you find me a big rock? And she swims down a little ways into the stream, into the deeper part of the um, the pool. The pool. I'm a child at heart, really. <laughs> uh, of, the, of the river. And... Uh, about 20 feet from Aryan, you you see her pop back up, kind of treading water out there. And she goes, I'm, I'm swimming right over a big rock right now. I can't move it. It's too big. Okay, I, I'll try. And I just like start walking towards it <laughs> and just like walking along the bottom <laughs> eventually when I run out of breath and like feeling it with my toes. Eventually, you can see, like, or you can feel right where, uh, right where you're at. You can feel the this big rock underneath, and it's it's big in the sense that, like, it's too big for a little girl to really be able to pick it up. But it's not like a massive rock that's the size of a car or whatever. It's mm-hmm. probably closer to like a coconut in size. It's just too heavy for her to pick up and swim with. Okay, uh, he'll like reach down and like try and pick it up off the floor. 
I don't think I'm going to do roles very often in in flashbacks. So I will let you decide. Do you think that Aryan is able to pick up uh, pick up this rock? I I think he can pick it up. It's just getting it out and up to shore is where I think he might struggle. Like swimming up with it or like swimming back towards shore and like walking along the bottom. Okay. So Aryan picks up this rock and strains a little bit, but is able to get it out of the, the riverbed and then begins to turn around and march back up the way that he came. And he's really starting to feel this, the strain in his lungs of it's time for you to get more oxygen, but he's determined to get it. And eventually he crests his head out of the water and is able to make it back to shore after some spluttering. And once he gets it to shore, Ari swims over and goes, Oh my goodness, you are strong. Yeah, and then he also told me how to do this. And he's going to try and throw the rock. Like, just in a, onto the beach. Okay. D- describe how that goes for him. Uh, I think he... Because like, I imagine he's carrying it with both arms, like, clutched against his chest. Mm-hmm. And he, like, kind of struggles to get under it a little bit. And then, like, throws it. And it goes, like, two feet. <laughs> and then plops back yeah, down. Yeah, it was more like he gave it more horizontal momentum a little bit but boom right in the sand like at his feet basically so it thuds down and she goes oh my goodness i don't think i could even pick that up on land let alone throw it well done i'm gonna try and she walks over and squats down and grabs it with both of her hands and you see her straining and pulling and jerking and it just the rock is just not budging because she's just do it together okay all right let's throw it back into the water where he belongs okay okay so then (laughs) yeah three and you both let go at the same time and the rock goes a little bit further than two feet but then it splashes quite loudly into the water with enough noise that you hear some sputtering and the move some movements behind you arian and you turn to find that your dad has awoken from the noise and is sitting up and looking around. Um, um, is everything okay? Yeah, we're fine, Dad. Okay. Uh, he's smiling. Ariana's smiling. Okay, good. Just don't get hurt. And then he lays back down and starts to go back to sleep. He's got his arms behind his head. That was a close one. I thought he was going to get mad at me. Oh. I'm sorry. Is Does he get mad at you a lot? Well, sometimes. I mean, he only gets mad if I, like, I don't know, if I do something dumb or, like, hurt, get hurt or something. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm glad that he's not a, a terrible parent. I've heard stories about them. Mm. Yeah, no, he's pretty all right. I like mom, too. I'm sad mom didn't get to come today. What's your mom doing today? I don't know. See, I don't. I usually stay out of her business. That's what Dad tells me to do. But oh, okay. I came with my mom. She's on the other side of the river. And shortly after Ari says that, you hear kind of like a chirping noise. It's almost a whistle, but more like a a bird's whistle than 
a, a human's whistle, but it, you can definitely tell that it's not a bird. Mm-hmm. And Ari kind of perks up a little bit, and she goes, Oh, that's my mom. That means it's time to go. Bye. It was nice meeting you, Arian. Bye, Ari. I'll see and, you later. And, and you watch her dive into the water and begin to swim back to the other side. And a, a couple of minutes later, you see her surface on the other side and walk up to uh, an older elf, a, a full-grown elven woman um, that looks, from this distance, fairly similar to her daughter. And she gives her daughter a hug, and then the two of them walk off into the, the tree line behind them and disappear from view. And now we're going to cut back to the present. In the present, Arian puts a foot in the water. No, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> this is like right after the spell has been cast, right before Arian gets in. Does Arian like remove any of his belongings or clothes? Because like oh, the yeah. this yeah the spell that he's cast gives him the ability to breathe underwater, but that's it. Yeah, I might have described this with the thing of like stripping down to his underwear and like rubbing mud on himself throughout it and like oh right during part of the ritual for casting it yeah yeah i forgot that bit so yeah good we're glad that he is hiding his clothes from the water yeah and he'll just Um, like walk into it unless something happens before then yeah no nothing nothing happens Aryan walks in starts to swim describe the the swimming that Aryan is going to be doing here he's like at this point, I feel like in this point in his life, he's become, like, somewhat of a natural swimmer. And, like, mainly what he's doing is, like, swimming upstream by, like, doing, like, bear claws on the base of, on the bottom of the river without his feet. Like, so just his hands, like, clawing along the bottom. Mm-hmm. And just, like, enjoying, like, swimming through the water without having to resurface and just, like experiencing it like just like because of like how like he find i think he finds like an amount of peace and calming underwater and the fact that he doesn't have to disrupt that by going to the surface to get breath like means a lot so after doing this for a little while um doing the swimming clawing upstream that Aryan has been doing he eventually uh sees in front of him because this stream is is very clear so he can see pretty it's not like a a super muddy river that you sometimes get um this one is a pretty clear stream and uh he can see in front of him and up near the surface a small family i don't even really know what you call a group of these creatures but they're a bunch of otters that are kind of swimming around um underneath them is kind of like a, a bed of river grasses essentially and they're just yeah go look it up because i i want to know a romp Um, a lodge a bevy or a family i just looked that up as well i call it they're called a raft a group a raft a group of resting otters is called a raft okay because that's kind of what these guys are doing is they're they're kind of a raft of otters right now and uh even under the water arian can hear the sounds of their uh, cooing back and forth to each other as they are up there just hanging out and cuddling and floating. A couple of them are diving down into the 
seagrass below and then coming back up with shellfish and such in their hands. Anything from Aryan on seeing the otters? I think he'll just like sit at the bottom of the river and just observe them for a little bit. Just look at them. Okay. He sits there and watches and they, at first, nothing like crazy happens. Like they're just swimming around like you would expect otters to swim around when they're under the water getting food and then eating it up top. But at one point, an otter dives down into the grass, comes back up, but doesn't go all the way to the surface because it stops about halfway as it notices Aryan. And then cautiously, it kind of swims over toward him, like really, really, really slowly. I don't move. I just look at it. And when it gets up next to you, Aryan, you can see it's got a little mollusk and it's paws and it extends its paws toward you like it's trying to give you the mollusk speak with animals um he'll hold out his non-gauntleted hand his left hand so when when you do that it doesn't like jump back or anything like it's almost like it was kind of expecting you to do something like this and then it just deposits the mollusk in your hand and then just sits there and looks at you, just kind of floating in the water next to you. What's a mollusk again? It's uh, it's like a clam, kind of. It's a shelled shellfish that's got meat on the inside. I think he just puts it in his mouth and like, cr- like eats it like a peanut. Would that be a constitution check? A strength check, a strength of the jaw? Yeah, let's do the let's do that. <laughs> let's do a strength check of the jaw to see if you can bust through this thing's AC. That's a seventeen. Okay. Um, <laughs> Aryan bites down on this shellfish, and the shell just shatters. Um, you can get to the you can feel the meaty part on the inside, um, but then you also feel all of the shell that's still in your mouth, and the otter is surprised at what you have done because it has not witnessed anything like this before (laughs) yeah i'm like picking around in my mouth like get the shell out of there like like spitting that out as i go and like i do that until i have just the meat and then i'll I'll eat that probably doesn't taste very good the uh raw shellfish probably not as much um the otter surfaces real quick to get some more air comes back down looks at you for a sec and then swims back to the seagrass and comes back a few moments later with another shellfish and extends its paws toward you again. Uh, this time, I, I politely decline <laughs> his shellfish. So then it sticks it up next to its mouth and pretends like it's trying to gnaw on it and then extends its hands again. This time, I'll pick it up in my hands and I will try and, like... I'll try to break it open with my hands, like... like opening it normally instead of just shattering it okay uh that let's do like a let's do like a dexterity check okay i think that's what we'll do for that one not really a sleight of hand because it's not like you're trying to hide anything so it'd just be like a straight up and down dexterity check oh it's a good thing i'm not proficient in sleight of hand so oh that's one's a three that was a three yeah as you try to use your hands to like pull the mollusk apart, it slips out of your hands and floats down to your lap. I just hand it back to him. And I think at this point, I'm gonna start swimming away. Like backing up, just being like, yeah, okay, cool, bro. 
it picks up the shellfish, sees your gauntlet on your hand, and then swims after you and tries to hit the shellfish on your gauntlet. Mm. If you don't want it to do that, I'll let you make a deck saving throw to avoid it. No. But if you don't care, it's going to do it. Yeah, he'll just stop and hold his hand out. The otter beats the shell on the gauntlet for a little bit, cracks the shell open, gets to the meat on the inside, and then it looks like an elated otter. I don't know how to describe that to make sense. Like it, it does the little like wiggle thing where it looks happy and then it swims up and kind of nuzzles up next to you. And then you feel it like put a hand on a paw on your shoulder and then almost like it's trying to grab you and then starts swimming back toward the family. He'll be like, he'll like shake his head and be like, mm, like he'll say no, no underwater and then just start swimming away, swimming back downstream. The, Otter notices this as it has, like, it's kind of caught, it was cautiously swimming away, like, not trying to go too fast. Um, it saw that you are starting to swim the other way, and you see kind of a dejected, like, it just lets itself float a little bit, like it's sad, mm-hmm. and then uh, starts to swim back to the rest of the family. And as you're watching this happen, you hear like a an agitated chirping noise coming from all of them all at the same time all of a sudden like they've they've gone from like their typical just little trips back and forth to a very agitated something is wrong um and a lot of them have gone from resting in the raft to diving into the water and swimming in multiple directions make a perception check a 9 uh you notice on the opposite side of the stream from where you're at, because you're over kind of on one side of the, like, you're on one half of the riverbed almost, the other on the other half towards the other banks, um, you can see a large reptilian creature that has let itself into the water and is swimming toward the family. All right, I'm going to start swimming back over so I can get, like, a better... Well, it's it's... Something that slid into the water? Yeah, I'll start swimming back over so I can get a better look at it. Okay. Um, make a a nature or survival check. Your pick. Um, and I'll let you make it with advantage because of how common this creature is. Nature it is. That's a 16. Okay. You can tell after swimming a little bit closer that the creature that is approaching the raft is a crocodile. It's not a very big one or a very old one, but it is big enough that it could eat some of the otters, and that's why they are freaking out. Okay, um, I'm going to... How far away is the crocodile from me, roughly? Uh, I'm... About twenty feet or so. It's not. It's not very far, but it's okay. also far enough that it hasn't really seemed to notice you. It's up near the surface level a little bit, and it's pretty focused on the otters. I'm going to cast gust and push it five feet away from the family. Yeah, it's got to make a strength saving throw. Oh my gosh! Um, <clears throat> natural one. Oh yeah, it's pushed five feet like a bitch yeah 
Um, so you push it five feet away from you and all of the otters, and it feels like the sudden change in current and looks at the like origin of it and notices you and now is swimming toward you. Okay, I'm gonna start getting out of the water. No, I'm gonna cast enlarge on myself. Okay. Um, so you get bigger. Is that all you are doing? Well, I'm getting bigger than I'm going to get real big and scary. Okay, so you're trying to intimidate it? Yeah. Okay, so roll for intimidation. Ooh, that's a natural one. Okay. I was feeling good about that. I got proficiency in intimidation. Yeah, so it's five is going to beat that then. Damn it! Um... (laughs) So it's going to continue to swim at you, and then it is going to attempt to bite you. All right, under bitch. the water. That is going to be because I rolled the opposite end of the die this time for some reason. A twenty-three to hit. Yeah, that'll hit. <laughs> okay, and then you are going to take seven points of piercing damage. Okay, I'm as it bites into you. Burn stones endurance, real quick. Okay. And not take any damage. Because I rolled an 8 on the die. Okay. And I have a um, So your so. your skin turns into that stony, fleshy thing that we've seen you do a couple of times before. And it, it bites down and doesn't pierce your skin at all. But now it's got its jaw locked on you. So you are now grappled by it. Can you grapple a creature a size larger than you? Uh, I think you can. Okay. Uh, Are you asking, like, could it possibly do that to you? Is that why you're asking? Yeah. Because you're considered large? Yeah. It is also a large creature right now. Is it a giant crocodile? No, it's just a normal crocodile. Normal crocodiles are large? Wow, okay. I didn't think they were that big. Yeah. Okay, well, then this boy wants to play. I'm going to hit him right in the fucking face with my gauntlet. Okay. Um, have we discussed like what that is in terms of a, a an attack before? I think like a D four. Yeah, Not yeah, and it's obviously something you are proficient in. It's my because fist. it's your fist. <laughs> okay, my attack is a fifteen. That'll hit. Okay, I will roll a little bit of damage. That's four damage. Okay, you added in strength mod, right? Yep. Okay, so you hit this guy, and it doesn't seem to deter the creature from being latched onto you, and now it's going to attempt to do a death roll on you. Okay. So I'm going to (laughs) need you to make a strength saving throw. All right. I have advantage because I'm enlarged. Oh, wait, hold on. I think enlarged increased the damage I did, too. I think it is another D4 on strength-based attacks, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's gonna... Oh, that's def- that was a weird card. It's another two damage. Okay. Strength saving throw. Wow, that was horrible. That'll be a seven. Okay, so um, it is going to start up this death roll, and it's going to begin spinning and as it does so you also begin spinning with it and you can feel its teeth start to dig into your flesh and do some like ripping motions so you are going to take 
11 points of slashing damage as you feel its teeth tearing at your arm. Okay. Your move. I'm going to shatter it. Okay, I was wondering when you were going to start, like, actually casting spells. So it's got to make a con save? Yeah, so do I. Oh, okay, right. I'm casting it that close. Uh, what's the number to beat? 16. So it got a 15, so it fails. I got a 20. So you succeeded. Yeah. And I have resistance to the damage. And I it cast... It doesn't. Uh, wait, does this... And I cast a first level spell of higher that deals lightning or thunder, so it's going to take four more thunder damage. Oh, yay. Because of my abilities. Uh, 15 thunder damage from the spell. Okay. So you hit this thing with uh, shatter, and you can feel that this thing is now shaken up because it's been in the middle of this death roll, but you've now hit it and it is shaking around as you are. The whole water's vibrating around you and um, you can feel it detach and it's very hurriedly swimming away back to shore on the opposite side. Like it's just trying to get away from whatever it is that's beating the snot out of it. <laughs> are you wanting to do anything else against this guy? Or are you just going to let him get away? I'm going to let him get away. Okay. Um, that's what I figured you would do. So as this croc disappears, you see the family of otters has started to regather. They had initially like scattered in lots of different directions, but they're starting to regather over this little bed. And, uh, several of them, including the one that is the one that helped you or that you helped open the mollusk earlier, mm -hmm. um, come up to you and start to nuzzle up against you. Uh, recognizing you as their lord and savior, Aryan, uh, that protected them from the big, mean, evil crocodile that wanted to eat them. Then they are going to... A couple of them are going to like grab onto you and really start tugging toward this bed of kelp below. Like, they're, they're wanting you to see something. Okay, I'll follow them. Uh, so you follow them to this bed of kelp, and beneath the the surface you see a crate that appears to have fallen off of a shipping vessel at some point mm. and on the crate you see something that like the markings you can read say sailor's rum on it the crate itself is still closed like it's it's been sealed like it fell off of the boat um but you can see that like there is stuff in this crate that they're trying to give to you what's the name of this river again the Caldena Stream. Okay. I will inspect inspect the crate closer of like whether I can like pick it up or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh go ahead and make an investigation check. Yeah, no, those dice have not been good to me today. There we go. That's a fifteen. Okay, so you can tell that this uh crate is it's been here for a little bit, not terribly long, probably a couple of weeks or something. Um, which is why the wood hasn't started to rot too much. You can tell that the crate is sealed with nails, so you would have to pull the top off to get into it. Um, but you can also tell that for the most part, whatever was inside of it is still in there and mostly undamaged. And it is small enough and light enough that you could pretty easily, especially in your enlarged form, pick it up and move it. I will pick it up and take it out of the water. Okay, so you are, are, I'm assuming you're taking it, like, back to the shoreline? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so you get back to the shoreline and plop it down, and you can hear clinking of glass bottles as you are carrying it up and then setting it down on the on the ground. Um, I think I'm gonna try and like crack it open or like I'm gonna crack it open and inspect like the contents or and like if there's a note of some kind, like a delivery notice or something. Okay. Uh, make a strength check. Oh, I have advantage. That's an 18. Uh, yeah, you are pretty easily able to pull the top off of this thing, just wrenching it right out by the nails. Uh, inside, you don't find any kind of delivery note, and you don't see anything, any markings on the crate that would indicate who it belongs to or where it's going. But inside, you find four bottles of Sailor's Rum, uh, which your magic tingle goes off and you can tell that there's some magic tied to these things. I'm going to send you a document that has the information for this potion on it. So it's I get I have four of this potion? Yes, Sailor's Rum is what it's called. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I was like kind of semi-convinced that Aryan was just going to die randomly. I thought it would be hilarious if you fucking died to an Oh, crocodile. Like, holy shit, if he dies to a crocodile? It's a CR one half. <laughs> yeah, but he's a squishy sorcerer by himself. That's, that is, so that I is wouldn't true. put it past you. So you um, have cracked this open and you're looking at these, bo- the, these bottles. And um, as you are kind of inspecting this crate, you hear another loud noise probably thunderclap would be the best way to describe it um i got my peter tingle (laughs) yeah but it's it's not actually a thunderclap like that's just the best way to to describe the sound in which you're hearing it's just a really loud booming noise coming from above you and when you look up you see a white streak of light coming across the sky at like breakneck speed towards me or above me above you like it's it's going past you oh and as you it's it's low enough you can tell this isn't something that's like out in outer space or whatever but high enough that it's not like doing anything to you um and as you kind of follow where it's going with your eyes uh the first thing that you notice is after it has passed you a little ways you can feel like a gust of wind that like blasts behind you, kind of like after something that has passed you that's going unbelievably fast, mm-hmm. then the air moves sort of thing. Gotcha. The second thing you notice is after following it with you, uh, your eyes, you notice something on the stream coming your direction. And this something is a lot bigger than like the critters that you've been interacting with so far because it's a little sailing vessel. It is going upstream. Greater invisibility. Could well, that only lasts for a minute, but still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's enough to keep you hidden. And uh, I'm assuming you're holding the crate with the sailor's rum bottles. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the crate also goes invisible because you're carrying it. And as you watch this boat, it is coming closer upstream toward you. Uh, I imagine you're probably moving back into the bushes a little bit or something yeah, for when the spell goes bye-bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you get back behind the bushes. You can tell that the like the rustling of you getting into the underbrush was not noticed by anybody on this boat. Make a perception check for me. Man, I was just thinking about, I could have done this a different way. 
sinking into the water. But I don't think that's probably a good idea. <laughs> uh, that perception? That's a flat six, baby. So you are able to... Uh, the, as, as this boat is coming across your field of view and is now like directly in front of you rather than further downstream, uh, you can tell that there aren't really any markings on this boat. It's a pretty unmarked vessel. You can tell that there's only a couple of sails on it, so not a very big boat either. And it is at the helm. You can see that at the helm is a figure wearing fairly familiar robes to what you have seen before from the Cultists of Chaos. Okay. And standing behind that figure, you can see a another one who looks like they are channeling a spell. And you can tell that that spell is what is giving them the oomph to get upstream as quickly as they're going because he's casting Gust on the sails. You can't make out any other figures on the deck. Uh, you can see uh, some light armaments, a couple of smaller cannons and a couple of small ballista on this boat, but nothing that's like, wow, that's a full-on battleship uh, style of things. That is all that you're really able to notice with the seven. Okay. Any actions from you? None that are any smart. So does that mean you're going to do a thing or you know that it's dumb to do a thing so you're not? I think I'm not going to do it. I'm just gonna like lay prone and that's, like wait till they pass. Yeah, that's probably the the smart thing to do. So uh, after a couple of minutes, uh, they have made it further and further upstream. They kind of go around a little bit of a bend in the stream, and that's the last that you see of this boat for now. Dun dun dun. But you get the feeling that you were not noticed whatsoever, and you still got the crate of sailors room next to you. I'm going to get up super fast and be like, shit, 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 and start running back towards where I left my clothes and bag. Good, good idea. But stealthily. Right. So, well, if I get within, like, if they're around the area where my bag and clothes are, I'm going to, like, set down the bottle of rum and stuff and then do greater invisibility again so I can get close to oh, my Oh, I gotcha. So, uh, so I be just for, for your sake so that you understand the scenario that you're in. You described to me that you were swimming upstream and these guys are also going upstream. So you are actually upstream of your clothes right now. So they've already passed where your clothes were. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Never mind. Then yeah. I'm just going to run back to where my clothes and shit was. So you run back and um, as you start getting closer, you can hear voices before you can see anyone coming from further downstream in the direction you are attempting to go. So I need I, I separated my magic items about what I have on me and what's in my bag. So right now I don't have the the stone of far speech, I don't have the pearl of power, and I don't have the bag of holding. But I still have my ring on, my pendant, my gauntlet, and then my homing bracer. Right. That makes perfect sense. Yes. And then of course any clothing aside from your skivvies skivvies but i don't use armor so yeah it's just ropes yeah um i am going to set the bottles down next to like some familiar tree like a tree that i'm gonna like look at and try and remember for later okay. and then i'm gonna start sneaking up and then as soon as i like feel like i'm really close to people 
I'm going to pop invisibility again. Okay. You sneak about another 100 feet forward from where this uh, tree was, and you that's when you're first able to see a couple of people who are marching upstream uh, wearing cultist robes. Uh, you pop the invisibility. Roll stealth for me. How many are there? Before just, I... I'll do the stealth first. Yeah, just two of them. Okay, I'm going to roll with advantage? Uh, yes, because you're invisible. Okay. Oh, that's a 20. A dirty 20. Okay. Uh, so you, being invisible, you're able to tell that these two individuals have not detected you. Um, perception to, like, just kind of get a feel of, like, if there's elementals around, if, like, what their kind of rank is in the cult. Yeah, roll, roll perception on that. Oh, how about a seven? You don't notice any elementals nearby, and you can tell by comparing these robes to robes you've seen before that these guys are not very high-ranking members. I'm going to make... I want to look around one more time around like the area around us to see if I can find anybody else around us. Okay. Make another perception check. Natural one. You don't notice anybody else there. Okay. I'm going to cast Maelstrom on them. Okay. Um, Remind me what that does again because that will determine... <laughs> Fucking like a 30-foot radius of five foot deep swirling water that's a super that's difficult terrain and they've got to make strength saving throws yeah 30 foot i'm gonna center it on them so they are in the middle of it 30 foot radius five foot deep water it's difficult terrain any creature that starts its turn there must make a strength saving throw or take 66 bludgeoning and be pulled 10 feet towards the center okay so we're gonna need to get this set up for combat now. Yeah, baby. With a nude Aryan. And I'm invisible. Uh, is Maelstrom concentration? Yes, I am not invisible. Let's uh, get things started with the fun of rolling for initiative. Oh! What'd you get? Four. Fun. You got your surprise round in, though. That's the important yes. thing. So... Your surprise round was casting the spell. Now it is the turn of Grunt 1, who is right in the middle. So he's got to make a strength, strength save. Yes. Uh, and an 11 is not going to beat it, right? Nope. Okay, so he gets pulled toward the center. He is the center. Yeah. He's going to take 18 bludgeoning damage. Okay, and then it is difficult terrain for him to move, right? Yes. He is going to... He's going to move... Closer to the tree line because he's now... Actually, no, he doesn't know where things are. He has no idea where things are at. So he's going to make a perception check to see if he can figure out what the hell's going on. Oh my god, we're drowning. Uh, got a 19 on that perception check. So he is going to, after looking around, see Aryan and go, Over there! And then he's going to move closer to the tree line. The voice acting is strong with this one. Yeah, thank you. That's that. I, that's really what I'm good at is voice acting. Okay, next up is the second grunt. Uh, he also is going to make this strength save. He got a natural twenty. Pop off, bitch. So uh, it's just difficult terrain for him, right? Yep. Okay. 
he is going to move up toward the edge of this circle, closer to Aryan, and then he's going to cast a spell at Aryan. Uh, can I make an Arcana check to see what spell it is? Yes. I have a negative one, so I don't anticipate this going very well. But Question? I'm just going to straight out try and counter it. Okay. Haven't we, haven't we seen these cultists in action and already know what spells they usually use? Um, You have seen a couple of the the spells that they have used. And maybe a few. Like Firebolt, Scorching Ray, like the the uh fire shield thingy fireball things like they like that. fire uh i'm yeah. just gonna cast counter spell regardless okay so um this guy starts trying to cast his spell and it fails oh. as you cast counter spell on him baby now it is your turn arian uh i'm gonna cast shatter at third level, centering it in between the two of them, so I can hit both of them. Yeah, easy. So, uh, con, con saves. saves from yes. them. The guy that is further away from you got a 16, and the other one got a 10. Uh, the 10 will fail. Okay. Ooh, I'm gonna burn a sorcery point to empower that, because that was bad. Wow, that was a lot better. That'll be 27 thunder damage total. Okay. Um, that guy's not within 10 feet of me. And then I'm going to fly another 10 feet back. And it's cut in half if they succeed, right? Correct. Half of 27 is 13. So you hit these guys with this, and you can tell that both of them are like visibly shaken. The thunder damage did not set well with these boys. Uh, both of them are mutilated. Okay, I'm going to then run. I'm just going to run right here behind this tree. This long-ass, weird-looking tree. Yeah, I'll run behind it. I'm, I'm actually going to edit the thing of it so it looks a little bit more normal now. Yes, so I will hide behind tree for cover. Okay, so next up is uh, the first grunt who is going to make that strength save again, and he got a, an 18 this time. He's fine. Okay, and then he is going to attempt to run closer to Aryan, but is incapable of being able to see him. Yeah, I'm going to say he really doesn't have much of a line of sight on Aryan. So um, he is just going to run forward, and that's all you're going to see him do. Now it's time for the other boy to go. And he got a 7 on the strength check. Yes, fails. So he gets pulled in 10 feet. I'm I'm not going to empower that. Well, I'm going to empower it again. I'll empower that one. 21 bludgeoning damage. This guy gets sucked in and under the water, and um, you don't see him resurface. <gasps> Ooh. Okay, um, so that's it for his turn, because he's uh, dead. Yeah, baby. Uh, which means it's now Aryan's turn. Okay, uh, that dude's 30 feet away from me. I'm going to drop Maelstrom. Then I'm going to come sprinting out from behind the tree at this guy. So as soon as he can see you, he is going to launch a spell at you that he had readied. Counterspell? Okay. So he launches the spell and you watch it just and then into the ground and doesn't do anything um and then as i'm sprinting 
I'm gonna reel back and punch him, and as I punch him, like I'm not, I'm shattering him. Oh, okay. I'm You're casting, casting shatter, shatter on him by punching. Yes. Mm. Roll. Let's see. He's got to make a con save. Yeah. Ah, eight. Yeah, I was like, I'm, I'm just gonna cast at the normal second level, just in case I need a little bit more invisibility. Seventeen. 21 damage because of the heart of storm you punch this guy and where are you punching him face face uh, hole right uh, in the, yeah. right in the nose so you with a flick of your hand counter spell his spell sprint up to him and then punch him with your gauntleted hand in the face and you watch as the vibrations rocket through him, and then his head explodes, and he falls to the ground dead. That moment when a uh, crocodile does more damage to Aryan than two cultists do. <laughs> and it's because they cast spells. Yes, baby. <laughs> so this boy is dead. Congratulations, you defeated them. Ah! Level up time, JK Law. So, Arian kills these dudes. Uh, you see that they were carrying your belongings. Like, they had seen your belongings on the beach and had gone ashore to investigate, hadn't found anyone, and then just grabbed your stuff and started walking. Okay. So, you killed them, got your stuff back. Yeah, Good job. Yeah, my stuff back, but now my stuff's all wet, so that's cool. And then uh, seven luck points for the encounters that have taken place here. All right. As far as XP goes, um, it's a total of 200 XP. Uh, my preference is that it's still divided the four ways because it just makes numbers easier later on. Uh, but I will allow you, in this instance, since you did end up soloing both of these, I will allow you to get the all of the 200 XP for yourself. Nah, I'll give it to everybody else. I'll spread it. 50 to everybody. Okay. I, at this point, I will get all my shit. I'm going to disrobe them, take their robes, put them in my bag, get dressed, and start the the, the light streaking across the sky. Mm-hmm. That wasn't like it was like plummeting to like plummeting to the, the ground, or was it just like flying across the sky? From what you were able to see of it, uh, before it disappeared behind the tree line for you since you were standing up on the beach as it was just going across the sky okay. from east to west because that's how those directions work okay so i'm not worried about trying to find whatever it was i think at this point he gathers up his stuff and like starts making his way back home smart call smart call there everybody it's me again your dungeon master jj odin here is another ad break for you in this lovely episode 13 so we'll start this one like we always do by listening to messages from our sponsors you can also follow us on social media at roll4.initiative on instagram that's roll the number four dot initiative on instagram or at roll4tweets that's roll the number four tweets on twitter 
If you tweet about us using the hashtag Roll4Tweets on Twitter, you might get a character on the show like Soren, the captain of the Riverton City Guard, who you've heard about in a couple of campaign-based episodes in the past. Uh, I don't have a whole lot else in terms of announcements today, aside from the fact that a couple of us in the show and a couple of people that we know outside the show are starting to work on a new secret project. Uh, there's not a whole lot I can say about it other than that we're all really excited and I guess it has something to do with nerds. I would also like to take a moment and just thank all of you that are listening for listening. It really does mean a lot. We have wanted to put this show up purely to tell a story for people to listen to and you listening to it is doing your end of the deal. <laughs> We're putting it up so that people can listen to it. Now you're listening to it, and that's the whole end goal here. And if you're enjoying what you're listening to, there's a few things you can do to help us out. First, you can subscribe to us on whatever platform you are listening to us on. That will definitely help. Another thing that you can do is rate us five stars on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And the third thing you can do is you can refer us to people that you think might enjoy the show as well. Your friends, your family, people who aren't your friends or your family. Just anybody that you think might enjoy listening to a group of goons play a game of Dungeons and Dragons and tell a story. That's all I've got for today, so I will see you all again in two weeks on November 27th when the next episode goes up. And uh, that's it. So thanks. Bye. and Zara are standing outside of this hut um and oh um question do you remember we took a short rest but I don't remember how many hit points I was at do you have any I have no clue because uh oh I think I I don't keep track I think I I I uh I went back up to full because Balasar helped me out. Oh, that is true. He did do that. Yeah, never mind. Um, so I have done some speaking with the Catwoman since she is not going to be here for the session today, obviously, and uh, Zara, after you guys arrive at the hut, decides that she doesn't want to deal with super depresso boy hour stuff, and jets off into the woods to just go hunting for the day and that and has decided that she will return to town at night uh as well wonderful so wonderful so there's that so it's it's you and balasar here now um you uh, I, I will remind you what things uh look like since it has been a bit since you've been here the door of this small cabin hangs ajar it's blowing about in the breeze Within it is a small bed, a smaller desk, and a single shattered window. Lying on the floor near the window is a serrated silver sword. And directly beside the door lie an arm and a pile of bones. An arm? Yes, Um, just an arm. Okay. 
and when we left off, Balasar had said that this was his brother's monster slaying hut. Right. So we go in. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess we can go in. All right. I mean, the door's, the door's hanging open. Yeah. Oh, is that an arm? Uh, uh, yeah. Yep, that appears to be an arm there. Yep. Can I tell what kind of arm it is? Uh, so we are going to, at this point, get into the way that this structured mystery is going to go, because we're in another mini-mystery! So there are four regions of this little hut that can be checked on, like we have done in the past. Um, the four regions are the desk and around the desk, the bed and around the bed, the door and around the door, and the window. Um, those are the four major regions of this hut, because, you know, when I structured it initially, I was planning on having all four players there at some point, but that clearly did not pan out this way. So... Let me go double check where that part of things is. I think that it is in the... Yeah, so that's the part near the door. So I'm going to have you make a perception check to take a look at stuff around the door. All right. Don't fail me now. Okay, that's not terrible. 18. Okay, so the things that you are able to see... um are as follows. First, uh, what you needed a 13 to see, uh, is that there are several scratches and gouges on the floor uh, from near where the sword is to the door. You can see these gouges in the floor of the um, hut. You can also see that there is, that this arm that is lying on the ground is decaying, and you can see that the pile of bones is slightly further inside the hut than the arm is, and the two of them do not look like they belong to the same creature. All right. Um, I'm going to go inspect the arm. Okay, so for that, you will need to make uh, two checks. You can All make. Right. You will need to make an investigation check, and then the other thing that you can do is either a nature or a survival check. You said... Investigation first? Uh, yeah. All right. That is... I'm going to use three luck points to make that a 15. Okay. Uh, you passed that bit, so I'm, I'm going to start keeping track of clues for you, because remember, you look for clues here, and that's what lets you get the, the story bit at the end. <coughs> um, the clue that you get here is that on the arm you can see like a sleeve that's still attached to this arm um, or is still on the arm not attached to it and on the sleeve of this what was once jacket style thing is a patch denoting the same symbol as the black sheep slavers now nature or survival check um, I'm going to make a survival check. You need five luck points to make that a 16. Um, okay. You passed this one as well. You are able to determine that this arm belonged to an orc. Damn. That was, that was a waste of luck points. Yeah, it was just a little bit. 
Um, okay. So now the two more areas that you can get potential clues from here are the gouges in the floor and you can get clues from the pile of bones. Um, I will look at the gouges first. I'm okay. See, I'm going to kind of run my hand across them, see what I can see. Yeah. So for this one, make an investigation check. All right. So that is 12. You are, after running your fingers across it, you are incapable of coming up with anything um, that would give you an inclination of what caused the gouges. Uh, I will tell you that the number you needed to beat there was a 13. I hate myself. Um, and now you've just got the bones left. Okay. What about the sword? Sword is part in a different area. Okay. Um, then I'll, yeah, I'll look at the bones. Again, an investigation check and then a nature or survival check. And for that, uh, nature or survival check, I'm going to let you make it with advantage. All right. Because it is in one way related to another clue that you have found already. All right, so investigation. I'm going to use three luck points, my last three luck points, to make it a 14. Okay. Um, for the investigation check, you look over these bones, and you uh, are able to tell that these bones show signs of acid damage, like something had hit them, with, hit the original carrier of these bones with some kind of acid and that is what has kind of caused this to happen to them. Uh, that was a clue. All right. Okay. And then okay. last, the last clue that you can find here, make a nature or survival check with advantage. Uh, survival, please. Okay, so that's a 16. Yes, you beat the 15 that you needed for this one. Uh, yeah. But because you have already done some investigating of beings here, and you've already got some prior knowledge on typical slavers, you can tell that this critter was once an orc. The arm bone matches up pretty well to the exposed arm bone that you're seeing on the rotting arm. So you were pretty confident that it's an orc. All right. So you have now completely ruled out the fact, or you've completely ruled out the possibility of Balasar's brother being the one missing an arm and or dead. Yes. At least from the initial fight. Okay. Okay. Uh, um, question. Could Balasar help me with each of these investigations? Um, I have a couple of ways that he's going to be helping out with stuff in the near future. Just for that okay. first round, cool. this is stuff that I was having you do on your own. Okay. Uh, because as I've talked about before, Balasar is a more of a sidekick NPC than anything else. Yeah, he is not there to steal the thunder of the show, so he's more there to help out and follow around, but is not going to do a whole lot of his own individual investigating here, just because, Probably. you know. Oh, I was just wanting the, the advantage. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I know that's what yeah, you were wanting. Okay, okay. Um, just groveling for advantage like a typical player. Yep, yep, It's that's very common. Um, so after you have kind of looked over the bones and such, um, Balasar approaches you and goes, so I assume by now you can tell um, neither of those piles of dying dead things uh, are my brother. Um, 
That's correct. The did you get any more information out of the gouges in the floor? Because I've got no idea what those are. I can't really tell. I mean, I could venture to bet that it might be from either his claws. Does your brother have sharp claws at all? Uh, yes, he does. Just like me. Yeah, so it might be his claws or it might be the slaver's chains. I don't really know, but he definitely put up a fight. He must have cut the arm off of one of the orcs and at least wounded another one because uh, those bones over there have done acid damage, so that's most likely his doing. Yeah, he does. Um, I got the uh, lightning breath in the family. He got uh, acid breath, so that would make sense. Yes. Uh, And as you two are having this conversation, uh, you hear a loud, almost thunderclap noise come from outside the hut. And as you turn to peer through the creaking open door, you see a beam of light touch down outside the hut a little ways. Uh, And it's a a type of beam of light that you have seen before. And when the light goes away, you see two figures that you have seen before standing there. Uh, The first is Leon. The second is Morkel. got a beam of lighted dropped in um, to the situation. You are standing in front of the monster slaying hut that um, Balasar and Zimnar are both in right now. And standing next to you is Morkel. Uh, Morkel turns to you after the beam of light fades and says, there you go, bud. Uh, I'd really rather we don't make a point of having to teleport you back and forth from Stratford to other locations. I'm going to have to talk to Cockabell, unfortunately, and some other people to see if we can get something arranged so that this doesn't have to happen through our means of teleportation in the future. Uh, if you just taught me how to teleport myself, it would save a lot of time. It'd take a lot of time. Probably we, longer than your lifespan to teach you how to do this one. Could uh, we, um, could we like connect the homing braces to each other? You know, so we can teleport to each other. That's that's not a bad idea, there, Zimner. I'll I'll go talk to Cockabell and the commander about that stuff. They don't. In the meantime, for nothing. What? Exactly. It was a joke, Mork. I, I couldn't hear you. That's why I was asking. Oh, I said they don't pay me the big bucks for nothing. Right. I'll see you guys later. And then he beams himself out of there. And uh, now, Leon, you're part of the mini mystery. What's up? Yeah, so we should take a minute real quick, in my opinion. What the hell have I been doing? <laughs> uh, Leon... You went back home to your farm for a couple of days, uh, started checking on things and whatnot, and then uh, after getting 
some stuff done, getting some seeds planted, you went, you know, I'd like to go back and help people out. So you reached out to the Order of the Keepers and they teleported you to where the majority of your party was. And that was it. You've just done a little bit of farming because it's only been like 24 hours or something like that since you've last seen the crew. All right. Um, so how do I, how did I personally reach out to them? Is this something that I have the ability to do? Um, we have a stone of phosphate at the house. Not with Cockabell. That is a very good right. point. Um, the the way that I'm reconciling that is like they noticed that you were off on your own and everyone else was on the other side of the country. So it was like a this is weird and sent you a stone of far speech for the ability to contact Cockabell as well so that you could figure out they could figure out what was going on with you should you decide to use it. Okay, so I so our party now has two stones. Yes. All right, I will write that down. That's wonderful, actually. Leon, how you doing? I'm uh writing down my inventory. Okay. Very circus-like thing of you to say, but I'll let it slide this time. How's Stratford? Lots um, of melons. Melons? Yes. Well, glad to have you back. Do you want to help us look for shit? Uh, what is What exactly am I looking for? Balasar? We're trying to figure out what happened to Balasar's brother. Yeah, this is Brulo's hut. This is where he lived and worked from. Killed a lot of monsters in the surrounding woods. Uh, so we are here trying to figure out if we can get any clues about who took him or where he went. Is your brother that steaming corpse over there? Uh, no, no, no. Definitely not the pile of bones. Okay, okay. We got a couple Don't, more places. Oh, good I am at uh, searching for maybe dead people, but I, I am really good with melons. Leon pulls out a melon that just came from the farm and proceeds to cut it open for everyone there. Okay. <laughs> love this. Uh, I don't think you've planted the gotter melons yet, so this is just the normal melons. This is a regular melon that just came from Stratford. Yeah, yeah, like fresh out of Stratford five minutes ago. Does yep. he, what knife does he cut Actually, it with? Actually, it's a chilled um, it's a chilled watermelon. It's been in the river. Ooh. Nice and cool. It's refreshing. Hey, what does he cut it with? Uh, flame tongue. Fuck. <laughs> what were you gonna suggest that he cuts it with? His dagger I made. The dagger that he made. Him. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so the three of you uh, snack on some chilled watermelon fresh from Stratford. And uh, after your brief break of chomping on the food, uh, you all go back into the huts to continue the investigation. So uh, we've got three areas left to uh, look at. 
and um, I am going to let you guys decide who takes what areas. Uh, we're going to treat it as we have treated it in the past, where you're each individually working on your own areas and not doubling up a lot. Balasar is going to be there to help out. So uh, in certain situations, based off of what clues are being looked at, um, modifiers will get added to your roles for certain clues. Um, I'm not going to give you an outright number for the modifiers or tell you what clues they are, because obviously that would give away a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be a thing where he's helping both of you by giving you additional numbers. So you just tell me your normal numbers, and then I'll add modifiers if they're relevant. All right. Hmm. What's with that window? I I should go and look. Okay. Oh, so the owner's going to go. Window. I'll go around the corner. Isn't there a, by the bed? There was the yes. window, and then window, bed, and window. desk are the three locations that haven't been looked at yet. Actually, I'll go to the desk. Okay, so Zimner is at desk, Leon is at window. We will start with, oh, well, we should probably decide uh, which of you is going to handle bed after the fact. Yeah, why like not? That. I'll do it. Okay. Okay, so uh, we will start with Leon over at the window. Uh, Leon, make perception check for me. Uh, 17. Beautiful. Uh, so here are the things that you find that could require further investigation. Uh, first, you can see in the floorboards cracks and indentations in the floor uh, near the sword. Second, you can see a black puddle on the floor near the window. Uh, and then the last couple of things you see is that the window is shattered, which is obvious. and um, the serrated silver sword is lying near the puddle of ichor and is pointed toward the door. Um, and as you've kind of gone over your investigation of things here, uh, Balasar looks at you and says, that sword there, that was my, my brother's sword, Sylph. He used it for killing monsters and stuff. And then he's going to pick up said sword and hold on to it because it's his brother's thing. Uh, so you get to pick where you want to be rolling for further investigations from there. So you've got cracks on the floor, you've got black puddle, shattered window, and then the sword that is now being held by Balasar. I think I'll go um, bend down by the black puddle and you know, dip my finger into it, see what it is. Sure, yeah. Um, you can make a nature or a survival check for that. Hmm. Let's do a nature check. Natural 20. Beautiful. Um, you can tell that this puddle is that which comes from a destroyed Banderhop, which you guys have seen before. The toad taxis. Uh, the, the, yes, the hopmobile. Yes, the hopmobile. <laughs> okay, so back windows, sword, or floor? Hmm. Well, isn't what's-his-face holding the sword? Yes, you can look at it, though. Oh. Hey, give me that sword. Um, okay. And he hands the sword over. Uh, make an investigation check. 19. 
Awesome. You can tell that this sword Sorry, is proficiency. Big. That's twenty three. I apologize. What the hell? That was almost double the number you needed. You can tell that this sword is caked with dried blood and ichor from the Banderhob. So it's clear that this was used for both the removal of the arm up front and for attacking the Banderhob later. So now you got a destroyed window and the floor. This is kind of gross. I don't want to hold it anymore. Here. Uh, thanks. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to look at this window. Make an investigation check. 20. Non-natural. Uh, you can tell as you look at the window uh, that on some of the shattered glass on the lower portion of the frame, you can see traces of black ichor as if something that produces the black ichor crawled through said window and scraped itself up quite a bit on in the process of doing so. So can I tell which direction? Like, did uh, it break through the window coming in, or was the window broken, and as it was leaving, it scraped? Uh, you can tell that the icker, for the most part, is on the outside part of the pane, and that it looks like it was scraping the monster as it came in. All right. And then last place is floor, near where the sword was. Bend down and start doing a plank as I'm examining the floor. Okay. Like Tiger Woods staring at the golf ball style. I love it. I'm going to give you three luck points for it and no. make an investigation check. 18. You can tell looking at the indentation that the indentation originated from a large being hitting the floor hard. Like the... Um... The Toad Taxi, or a different large being? A different large being, more like a large man than anything else. All right. We are now going to turn our attention over to Zimner, because we're out of clues from there. Zimner, you were over at the bed, yes? Yes. All right. Make a oh, no, I was at the desk. I was at the desk. You're at the desk? Okay, you're at the desk. Make a perception check. Ten. So here's the stuff that you are able to pick up on. Um, you notice on the desk, there is a small plaque that has some writing on it. You can also see a stack of letters uh, in that are like poking out of a desk drawer that has been opened. Mm -hmm. And you can see that the chair next to the desk is lying on its back. Okay, I'm going to look at the, like, the letters on top of the desk. So make an investigation check on the stack of letters. I think that is an eight. Buddy, you need to get some better dice. Um, I understand. Fortunately for you, uh, this is one of the areas that Balasar is able to help out, so you still get the clue. Because these are all letters written from Balasar to his brother Brulo. And there's dozens of them. It's pretty clear that the two of them, even though they didn't see each other often, uh, regularly corresponded with one another. So um, now you've got the plaque and the chair laying on its back. Uh, the plaque. Okay. Uh, for that one, you will make two checks. Investigation and history. Okay. Investigation. 15. History. 15. 
No, 14. Okay. 15 uh, and a 14, respectively. Yes, you passed both of those checks there. Yay! Okay, this is only one clue, even though it did require two checks, but it's because of it requiring world lore as well. The plaque, uh, as you look at it, you can tell that it's got Brulo's name on it and that it denotes him as a master slayer. Uh, And the history check gives you the knowledge to know that uh, that means he's a member of the monster slaying guild and that's like what this plaque is noting him for and the only members of the monster slaying guild that rank higher than him are grandmaster slayers and those known as ellison's chosen which is the the person who's actually in charge of the guild so he is a very high ranking member of the monster slaying guild wonderful okay um and then uh, i'm going to Look at the chair, I guess. Yes. Uh, investigation check. Fuck me. Mother of God. That's a five. Because this is so simple, the DC is crazy low. And also, I just really want to lead, read this line to you that I wrote in my notes about this months ago. Because I literally, like, it's the information that you would get, but it's someone stood up in a hurry. Succeeded the cost. Stood up in a hurry. So I need to denote that. Is there a half-written letter on the desk? Or is there one that looks like it's not completed? Uh, no. Okay. Is there any drawers in the desk? Yes, that is where the letters were. Okay. All right. I don't think I can do any more, can I? Yep. That is it for you there. So now we're going to move over to Leon, who's inspecting the bed near the window. Yes. Make a perception check, sir. Nine plus... Fifteen. Awesome. You get to have all of the things that you need to look for for clues here. So, here are the things that you can see around the bed. First, and this was the hardest to see, you can see a couple of small pieces of parchment lying under the bed. Uh, Second, you can see that there is some dried wax that has dripped down the nightstand. You can also see a spear and a chain stuck in a wall near the bed. And you can see that this is the only bed, and it's small. So those are the four things that you can investigate further. Uh, two of them, actually, I have forced checks that you need to make right away. So uh, for the bed part of things, the fact that it's just a small bed, I need you to make an insight check. 13. It's high enough. You can tell, based off of the size of the bed and the location of the hut, that Brulo lived here alone. And there's not a lot of other individuals around. Uh, Second, for the wax on the nightstand, I need you to make a forced insight check again. 18. Easy money. Uh, You can tell that this was once a candle and that the candle had been burning at night. And therefore, since no one put out the candle and it burned itself all the way down and out of wax, which is now dripped down the nightstand, that the attack happened at nighttime. 
So you can look at the pieces of parchment under the bed or the spear and chain stuck in a wall. Let's look at the spear and chain first. Yeah, make an investigation for me. 14. Okay. Uh, that was the number to beat. Well done. Uh, you can tell that this chain and spear combination are similar to those that you have seen used by the slavers before. You can also tell that the reason that this is still here is not because it got so lodged into the wall that no one can pull it out, but because it became useless after the last few links on the chain, or at least what is left of it that you can see, were melted by acid. Hmm. And the last thing are the small pieces of parchment that are lying underneath the bed. Make an investigation check for those. A 26. Frickin' killed it, because you needed an 11. Uh, As you pull those little pieces of parchment out from underneath the bed, you can tell that they are some style of ticket stub dated to two days before Balasar knows Brulo to have disappeared. The stubs are dated to the 25th of... Or the 25th? Yes, the 20... Nope, the 23rd. 23rd of Jory, uh, which is the fifth month of the year. So it was... Holy 523 fuck. is the date. And that was a clue. So, you guys now have some time here to come up with an idea of what you think occurred this night. Um, I will tell you that you guys got 16 of the potential 18 clues. All right. So when you make your insight checks in a bit, you'll get a plus 16 modifier on top of that. So uh, if either of you thinks you have an idea of what happened this night, go right ahead and get started. If you need a little bit of time, take some time to think about it. He was working. He was reading a letter at his desk. What? Oh, um, I didn't ask this before, but I would have seen it. What was the most recent? What was the most recent date on the letter? On uh, the, letters, letters. the letters were not dated. They weren't dated. Fuck. Okay. Um. So he was reading. Does Balasar know when he sent them? Uh, before the abduction is about all that he could give you. Okay. So he was reading a letter from Balasar. He heard a noise. Stood up really fast. Knocked over the chair. Dudes on a bander hob busted in through a window. He went. He went into the bedroom, grabbed his sword, and then um, they tried to throw a thing at him. They tried to throw a spear with a chain at him, and then oh no, one guy was in in the hut, and then he tried to throw a spear at him, missed, stuck it into the wall, and then he acid breaths all over this dude, fucking melts him slashes an arm off so one of these one of the arms doesn't get as much acid as the other then the other one is like almost completely corroded away so that's an orc that's dead excuse me and then he makes work of the makes pretty quick work of the bander hob but there are more outside so he kills a bander hob and then eventually he is tied up he drops his sword and he's being dragged off, and he tried to scrape, he tried to grab at the 
wooden floor and scraped it with his claws as they pulled him out. Okay. Solid guess. Uh, Leon, what do you think? Well, I believe that what's-his-face was sitting on his bed and was contemplating how his circus experience went. This is a few days afterwards because he's still looking at these tickets. And then somebody, like, he hears a noise outside. But so he just sets him down, like maybe shuffles him under the bed. Goes over, looks out the window, doesn't see anything. Is concerned, so he goes and grabs his sword, so it's so it's on his person. And then that's when the window shatters. Yeah. And this orc riding a springy chariot just busts through glass shattering everywhere and uh, the webbed wagon gets with this glass starts bleeding um, then there's a fight there's a back and forth excessive slashing and violence chairs get knocked over and then our, our man decides to melt someone and ruins not only himself or not only that one person, but also the weapon. And then he ch- chops the arm off of the other invader, which causes him to cry out in pain and skedaddle with the Vanderhob to chase him down to, to ensure his victory. He runs outside to meet a larger party in which he gets swallowed and they take him. An interesting story, and I love that you tried to use different names for the Banderhob each and every time. All right, gents, it is time for you to make your insight check. You get a plus 16 modifier on top of whatever other insight modifiers you have. I got 28. Okay, we're going to go with a 32. I love it. Uh, Both of you beat it. Uh, what do we have to beat? 25 was the number to beat. JP, you uh, actually ended up with a 30 because your story was slightly closer than Jeremy. So you got another modifier you didn't know about. But you guys both got it. So it's time for us to get into a cutscene. I need to wet my whistle before I get started, though. We see a burly, black-scaled dragonborn seated in a small, secluded shack. He reads a letter from his brother, the text only slightly illuminated by the small candle on his nightstand nearby. This same flickering light glints off the silvery blade leaned against the bed, making its already ominous serrated form appear all the more deadly. Outside the shack, the chirps and calls of the nighttime life cease without warning. For a moment, no sound penetrates the little wooden hut. The dragonborn, a trained monster slayer, notices the silence and looks up as his hand swiftly stuffs this latest letter inside his armor. Slowly, he begins reaching for his longsword. A loud crack interrupts the eerie silence as the nearby door is blasted open. In a flash, the dragonborn grasps his sword and brings it down from behind the door 
on an arm that has entered his field of view. Orcish curses begin sputtering from behind the door as the lone window in the back of the hovel smashes inward. A massive, toad-like monstrosity squeezes through the frame as shards of glass rake across its stomach. The dragonborn smiles, confident in his skills as a killer of such beasts. He approaches the monster with sword raised, but stops short as a spear and chain zip in front of him, sticking to the wall near his bed. The slayer turns toward the chain's origin to find a figure in dark leather, frantically attempting to wrench the spear from the wall. His grunts turn to screams of agony as the dragonborn unleashes a torrent of vile acid upon the man, dissolving both the chain he was holding and his body as well. The monster slayer returns his attention to the toad-like beast just as it falls through the window and flops onto the floor with a sickening squelch. Using the serrated silver of his sword, the dragonborn hacks into the giant toad, killing it before it has a chance to gain its footing. It immediately begins to dissolve into a puddle at his feet. The hunter is pleased with himself, smiling at how quickly he slayed the beast. But, as the story goes, his pride goes before a fall. While his back is turned to the door, two more chains fly into view. One wraps around his legs, binding them, while the other pins his arms to his side and forces him to drop his sword. The dragonborn's snarl is cut short as his feet are pulled from beneath him. He lands with a thud, boards cracking beneath his bulky frame. Grunts are heard from outside the hut as the dragonborn is dragged across the floor, gouging deep scars in the creaking floorboards. The sounds of struggle can be heard from outside the monster slayer's home before a soft thud announces their end. Once again, the hut and surrounding jungle are silent. Moments later, the creatures of the night once again resume their calls, oblivious to the battle for freedom that the monster slayer just lost. That's the end of the cutscene. Man, it sucks to be him. Damn, my boy got fucked. Yeah. So, um, we are going to... So I was pretty close. Yeah, yeah, you were. You were, yeah, you were pretty close there. Um, so I'm thinking maybe probably we aren't going to just outright end this day as it is right now. Like we're not going to go back and end things. So somehow we're going to end the session. Who wants to have the final line? Well, Balasar, I think I know what happened to your brother. I'm not sure where they might have taken him, but we're going to find him. I promise. Let's hope he's still in one piece. <laughs>